Okay, so the series that we've been doing, we've simply called This Is Us, and we are basically, we've been taking a look at some of the distinctives of what it means to be a Christ follower. So, so please don't take offense to this, but, but there are times where I get irritated and frustrated with the term Christian because it means so many different things to different people, but what it should mean is someone that's actually following Jesus, someone that's in a relationship with Him, that's enjoying a relationship with Him, that is obedient to Him, He's the master, we're the servant, and so we're actually being formed into His image as opposed to trying to form Him into our image. And so some of the values that we've looked at, like unity, Warmth, which speaks of hospitality, generosity, which is so much more than money, it's time, it's energy, it's attention, it's our talents, our gifts, our abilities. Um, these are just some of the things. Our devo devotion is a value where we love God and love people. These are distinctives that should describe the average Christ follower. So this shouldn't just be for the monks and the nuns or the extremely passionate and radically devoted. No, no, this should actually be common amongst people that are in a relationship with God. I came across this uh, question yesterday, actually, when I, 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 the message was finished, I had to add this in, from a, a guy by the name of Ronald Rollheiser, where he asked the following, if we were brought to trial in a court of law and accused of being a Christian, what characteristics would we have to exhibit for there to be enough evidence to convict us? That's what I thought. <laughs> if we were brought to trial in a court of law and accused of being a Christian, what characteristics would we have to exhibit for there to be enough evidence to convict us? In other words, what things should be present in our lives that are so unmistakable, there's, basically there's no defense. We can't help it, we can't argue back. We, okay, you've got us. We love Jesus. Now, obviously, the thought here, the, the, the challenge here that he's trying to get at is, would there be evidence in the average Christ follower's life that would be so compelling that a person couldn't help but say, he, he must be a follower of Jesus, or she must be a follower of Jesus? And, and I honestly think that there should be something present in our lives. Not perfect. We, we know that we're never going to get that right. We know that people make mistakes, but, but there can be enough humility to own mistakes, not to deny them or spin them. I think that's where hypocrisy comes in. But to own mistakes, to own failure, to own, to own prejudice, to own wrong attitudes, but to, but to keep growing and trying to become who, who God's made us to become. Man, what, what a powerful testimony to live a life that is instinctively life-giving that people want to find out more. Maybe they're not sure about God, but they see a, a certain level of hope, they see a certain level of peace, they see a certain level of joy, even though they know that your life is not uh, perfectly put together, you're not free of challenges, you're not free of suffering, because by the way, that doesn't happen. Like, like that's false advertising if people say, hey, come to Jesus and live a perfect life, and, and everything will be easy, safe and secure, comfortable and convenient, that, that's a lie. You will still have challenges. In fact, Jesus said, John 16, 33, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. When, when Paul writes in Philippians 4, verse 6 of experiencing a peace that passes understanding, he's saying it'll be irrational. You'll have enough, in fact, he was writing it from prison. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't know about you, that stands out to me. When you have someone that's in prison, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like an EU prison. 
like we have standards and, you know, where you're looked after. No, no, like it would be like a South African prison. <laughs> or worse, I don't know. I'm getting sidetracked. He experienced being shipwrecked multiple times, being stoned, not like, I mean like, 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 like where people, where people left him for dead, like, like it was bad, whipped. So, 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 so Jesus had those, those 39 lashes that in itself could take your life. He, he experienced that a couple of times. Like, like Paul had, he had stuff, man. But then you read stories of where him and Silas are in prison. They're bloody, they're beaten, and at midnight, they're worshiping God. Can you honestly tell me that that's not gonna get someone's attention? Yeah. I mean, even if they think you're crazy, but it's gonna get their attention, whether like, are you in denial? But you hang around long enough and you realize, no, like there's something else. Guys, I'm just telling you, there should be something else in the life of a Christ follower that's not, it's not preachy, it's not arrogant, it's not self-righteous, it's not, it's not, it's not trying to impress anyone or worry on, it's just there's a, there's a depth of peace of love, of love for, for people that are, that are very different, where you, where you would even disagree over stuff, like, like strongly, but there's a love, there's a dignity that you, that you show towards others, there's a validity, there's a value. There should be something in Christ's followers' lives. So we're looking at just some of those values, and today, just very briefly in the time remaining, I wanna look at a value that we're simply calling faithfulness. Faithfulness. A lot of churches, and ourselves included, would use the word excellence when it comes to this kind of thing, but I just feel like for some people that that term can so often be misconstrued as being perfectionistic, like we need to get it perfect, and we're never gonna get it perfect. Excellence, in my opinion, speaks of putting in our best effort, so doing the best we can with what we have in relation to everything else that we have to do. In other words, we don't wanna be excellent at doing one thing at church, but then we're, we neglect our family and the people that we're meant to work with and love and serve in the community. No, no, it's, it's doing the best we can with what we have in relation to everything else that we have to do. And so, and so in, in kids' church, we would just simply use the term doing your best. But then I realized that they're different personalities and some people you know, are very sensitive to the idea of, okay, well, how do I know if I've done my best? If that's your question, you're a perfectionist. I feel you, okay? <laughs> because you never feel like it's, like, well, how do I know if it's my best? I did, I did actually sleep last night. Maybe I shouldn't have slept, and maybe I should have worked even harder. Okay, so, so, so forget all that language. We, just want to, we want to be faithful. We want to put in a good effort. And a great parable, just, just to clarify, a parable is a story that Jesus told, which generally speaking had one overarching message or theme. So it doesn't answer every question. It, it emphasizes one key point. And this parable is emphasizing the fact that we are called to, if you're in a relationship with God, if you're not in a relationship with God, you're safe, it's okay, there's no expectation. But if you're in a relationship with God, you are expected to be faithful, to be diligent with what we have. So Matthew 25, verse 14, you all still okay? Just, just flick off the screensaver if you're already going into hibernate mode, okay? Hang in there, hang in there. We'll have the verses up on the wall, and if you're following a new version, just remember to save it on the app. So verse 14, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. 
He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. Now, there is debate and discussion between scholars as to what the bags of silver, or if you're, or if you're reading the NIV, it refers to bags of gold. If you're reading the King James, it probably refers to talents, which today we, we, we use the word differently to what it was used four or 500 years ago. But some scholars have suggested that it was the equivalent, so each bag was the equivalent of about 20 years worth of wages at minimum wage. So the gentleman that was given five bags of silver had the equivalent of? Yes, 100, okay, 100 years worth of wages. The man that was given two bags, the equivalent of? Guys, this isn't a trick question. This is like, what is two times two? Okay, four, so, so 40 years worth, and here's the, here's the most complex one, the guy that was given one bag. <laughs> Guys, this is the 1030 service. I thought you've had your coffee, you've already had some sleep. 20 years, okay? With one bag, it's the equivalent of 20 years worth of wages. But what I want you to notice is that he gave to each person in proportion to their abilities. It wasn't unfair. We live in a, in a cultural moment where, where we feel like it's unfair to give someone, this person more than that person, or to entrust that person more, or to promote this person. But, but and, and in some cases, that may be true in, in our society. But when it comes to God, He is entrusting you with what you can handle. He's giving you what you can cope with. You should be grateful. I should be grateful that He hasn't given me five times 20, so like 100 years worth of wages, if all I can cope with is 40 years worth. Right? And, and it does take faith to have that perspective where we're saying, God, okay, I'm gonna trust you that you've given me what I can actually cope with, what I can handle well. Because if he gave us more than we could handle, well, we wouldn't be able to steward that well. And God, God is actually very kind. Please don't see it as God being unfair or unkind. No, no, he is being kind. That's why God has never called you, tasked you, burdened you with anything that you don't have the ability with his help, so make no mistake, there's the God factor, with his help that you can actually achieve. But it's according to his timing and according to his definition of what success looks like, what health looks like. Verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. How much more? Which is worth how many years' wages? 100. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. In some English translations, they actually use the word immediately or, or straight away. And the, the, the original Greek manuscript that we translate from into English actually has a term in the Greek which, which refers to an urgency. Like, like they immediately went to work. They immediately, straight away, they went and put the stuff, in, in other words, they didn't drift. They weren't like, you know, weighing up options in between gaming sessions. Like, it was, it was like, okay, I've got a responsibility. I have to actually steward this. There was no time to waste. They didn't wait for the perfect circumstances. If Brett and Renee were waiting for perfect circumstances, <laughs> you would never plant a church, right? Yeah. Never. 
Waiting for perfect circumstances to have a child or to foster or adopt, like, it's never going to happen. Perfect circumstances to get involved in, in serving somewhere or, or pursuing a, a project that's intimidating and, that, and that's a little bit scary. Guys, we would never get stuff done if we're waiting for perfect circumstances. Verse 18, but the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. He literally buried what the master had given to him. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up in terms of which of these servants you can relate to more comfortably, but I would suggest in all seriousness that there are a lot of Christ followers. Maybe they're not Christ followers. Maybe they're just Christians. that for all intents and purposes have just buried what God put into their hands. And so psychologically, philosophically, by nature, we then look for alternatives to medicate and escape and to, and to feel some sense of stimulation so that life has meaning to it. But, but actually the thing that is meant to, br- so the purpose for which this life is designed is buried in a field somewhere. And, and what's interesting, and this is the good news, by the way, some people actually do come to their senses. They get to a stage of life where they realize, like, okay, I've done the other stuff. I've traveled. I've experienced stuff. I've, I've had a lot of adventure. There's still something missing. And the great news is that, honestly, and I mean this sincerely, God is so kind and so patient. I mean, I'm shocked at some of the stuff that I feel like God has been kind enough to, to kind of uh, sh- help me to learn in my 40s. And I'm like, God, how have you waited until, like, I would have killed me long ago. He knows, he knows what we are ready for, what we can handle. Don't bury what he's put into your hands. Or, or if you do, then at least, at least in your own, in the privacy of your own thoughts, have the integrity to acknowledge that, that, that you're chasing something else. In Old Testament language, that would be called idolatry. You don't have to be worshiping a wooden idol. It's when we take anything, it could even be a good thing, and make it an ultimate thing. When we put it into the middle of our lives and we look to that thing for hope, for security, for identity, for peace. So that's why our careers, which should be good, work is good, works from God. Okay, work should be worship. But, but, but when we make it an ultimate thing, where we're looking to it for our, do you know how many pastors make their church their idol? Where my identity, my security, my sense of worth and being good enough and successful enough. So let's not bury it. Let's just at least have the honesty. Verse 19, after a long time, it gets better, don't worry. Just, just react. Take, take, take a deep breath. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. So just to be clear, we will all give an account for our lives over two things. One, what did we do with his son? So what did we do with Jesus? That determines where we spend eternity. And two, what did we do with our lives, with the one life that he gave us before we move into eternity? We will give an account, but I don't want you to miss the fact that it refers to his money. So, so what did we do with the stuff that he gave to us? Verse 20, the overachiever, uh, the one to whom he was, in, was entrusted, five bags of silver came forward and had five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Now, this is where I need you to help me out when you see the words in yellow. 
Well done, my good and faithful servant. Was that hard? Let's, let's all do that together, okay? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Now think about that for a moment. Again, the, the culture we live in, they'd be like, whoa, that's a little bit unkind. What about the guy that only got the one bag? So he's only got 20 years worth of wages. This guy's now got 200 years worth. And you're calling that small? And I honestly believe that that is because God knows your capacity. He knows my capacity. And even though this person's capacity was to produce an extra 100 years worth of wages, according to what he could continue doing with God, it was small. That's why you don't ever want to compete or compare because you may have an overestimation of what of how faithful you're being because it looks like more than someone else. But if you have the capacity to do so much more, that's why we do it for an audience of one. That's why, that's why we're looking to please God. That's why God is the faithful judge and he's a righteous judge. That's, and that's why someone that's only got the one and maybe produces one more shouldn't be looking at the guy that now is sitting with 10 thinking, oh, like, why am I even playing? Like, what am I doing? I'm just gonna go home and watch TV. No, no, it's, relative to what they were given and relative to what they can do. It's small. And that's not discouraging. That's, for someone that has capacity, that should actually excite you. Like, whoa, okay, hold on. If that's what we can do, imagine what, how much more could be done with God. So now, I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. You're like, wait, what? The reward is more responsibilities? Well, yes, but it's not in the sense that we f see responsibility. You see, we see responsibilities as being corrupt, as being a burden, as being something we have to do to make money, to build a life, etc. But, but actually in God's economy, again, work is not bad or responsibility is not bad. Yes, sin has tainted it, my own corrupt human nature has tainted it, but it's not bad. Guys, this might be good news for some, bad news for others. Eternity is not gonna be you sitting on a couch, a really, really comfortable, lazy boy type couch, watching sport all day, every day. You would actually get bored or playing your favorite game or, or what, whatever. No, no, there's, there, will, there is actually responsibility. That's a whole other conversation. I know that's scaring some of you. All right, verse 22. The servant had received two bags of silver, came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I earned two more. Read with me again. The master said, well done, my good and Exactly the same words. Far smaller output, exactly the same praise. You have been faithful in handling the small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. I know it's weird. Let's celebrate together. Exact same praise for completely different outputs. Why? Because they were both equally faithful. That's why, don't, again, don't look to the left or right. God, am I doing what you want me to do? Am I being faithful with what you put into my hands? Then there's the third servant, because there's always one. The guy with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Honestly, just, just to clarify any confusion, because the Bible doesn't correct him, doesn't mean that he was correct. A better word there would be, I thought. I thought you were a harsh man. In other words, it was his perspective. What we do or don't do with what God has entrusted to us is a direct relation to what we think of God. 
Do we think he's this harsh, impossible to please taskmaster? Or do we see him as the kindest person we'll ever meet who has through grace and mercy offered free forgiveness of sins, melted our hearts with a sense of his love and slowly but surely revealed his plan, his kindness, his heart, his peace, his joy. Because, because how we see him, if we're just trying to respond out of fear, that's not gonna last very long. If we, if we are responding out of joy and gratitude, that's a whole nother ball game. I thought you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, look, hey, he has your money back. Like he didn't lose it. He's, he's giving back to God something that he wanted him to do something worth. And then some incredibly sobering, sad passages of scripture. Verse 26, the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew, or again, thought, I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. In the message paraphrase, it says, why didn't you do less than the least? Like the least you could have done. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant, give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's gotta be one of the saddest scriptures, amongst one of the saddest passages of scriptures in the Bible. Now, I don't have time to unpack why that's not God being nasty. That's God honoring a person's choice and decision. I wanna get back to the main theme of this passage with a single question and a few quick comments before we wrap up. The question is this, and I'd actually like you to close your eyes for a few moments, please. Just play along, even if you've already switched off, okay? I wanna encourage you, just in the quiet, to just either reflect on, or if you're willing to do this, ask God to show you what has He entrusted to you. What has God entrusted to you? Think of elements of your personality, gifts, talents, opportunities, education, an IQ, a certain physical capacity, an ability to think or an ability to relate and connect Or maybe it's even some of those things that have been done to you that was never a part of God's plan, but because he doesn't want to waste the pain, he wants to bring good out of it, he wants to redeem it. What has he entrusted to you? And perhaps an equally important second question is how does he want us to use those things? What has he entrusted to you? How does he want you to use it? Father, I pray in this moment, regardless of where we are in our journey with you or our journey of exploration, please help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit 
to your thoughts, to your prompts, to your perspective, or even for people that wouldn't be sure about you or, or would be honest and say, I flat out don't believe that there is a God. Lord, if, if you're willing, would you even prompt them to even just pray something honest like, if you're real. God, if you're real. Help me to see what you've actually placed in my hands and how you might want me to use them. In Jesus' name, amen. In closing, a couple of very, very brief thoughts. I've already mentioned the fact that it's according to our abilities. We don't compare, we don't compete, rather we consider our calling, our competency, our stage of life. Like if you are a single parent of three young kids, your life is completely different to a single young adult or to parents that are empty nesters, right? Different capacity, different time. So, so don't compare and compete. If you're a full-time student with a full-time job, just so you know, they're darkening the hall and playing the mood music to, to, to hurry me up, me up. In other words, that means the plane's coming into land, okay? Thank you, Kelly. But think about this. Don't compare. Don't compete. It is according to your abilities. I love how one scholar said that none of these servants could use the excuse of being overwhelmed by their assignment. Because what God gave to them was according to their abilities. Another thought is equal faithfulness, not equal results. God celebrates equal faithfulness, not equal results. I can tell you right now, I, God has not wired me. He, he has not gifted me and wired me to lead a church of 10 or 20,000 people. So what does faithfulness look like here? What does faithfulness look like if he's called me to, to be a pastor, to serve, to love, to shepherd, to equip people? Equal faithfulness, not equal results. Not how much do I have, but how do I use what I have? Another encouragement is to decide, not drift. Don't wait until God like shouts at us from, no, no, we have to actually decide. We get to choose to be faithful with what God has put into our hands. It starts with obeying God today. God, my answer is yes. What's the question? My answer is yes. What's the instruction? I love how Andy Stanley says that obedience to the known will of God will pave the way to the unknown will of God. Let's not get distracted by what we don't know. Let's not get distracted by when will it work out, what will success look like. No, no, let's just be obedient today to the known will of God. Or the way that John Ortberg says, just do the next right thing you know to do. Just do the next right thing you know to do. You'll be amazed at how that leads to the next right thing you know to do. And the next right thing you know to do. Decide, don't drift. Then simply do your best. Which again, is hard for perfectionists to measure, but just, do your best. Put in a good effort. Whenever you ask God for more, there's a good chance he'll say, is there anything else that you can do with what you've got? Is there any other way to be faithful with the season that you're in? Any other way to be faithful with the people that he's put into your sphere of influence? I love this one statement. Um, I found this in a book I think his name is something Stearns. He's the, he's the president of World Vision. And he was writing about Mother Teresa who was sainted by the Catholic Church for her lifelong dedication to the poor in India. 
and how once she made a profound statement that thoroughly shatters our secular notions of success. So like redefining success, redefining faithfulness. Senator, Senator Mark Hatfield was visiting her in Kolkata and watching as she moved among the beds of the sick and dying, the senator was struck by the sheer size of the needs compared to the resources she had available. Anyone ever feel like that? I feel like that regularly as we look around our community, as we look around some of the different needs. Mother, he asked, don't you get awfully discouraged when you see the magnitude of the poverty and realize how little you can really do? In a respectful way, he was really asking her if she felt like she was failing in the face of these overwhelming odds. And this is how she answered him. My dear Senator, God did not call me to be successful. He called me to be faithful. Now, as much as we would know Mother Teresa and she would be one of the, one of the heroes of the 20th century, she didn't solve every problem in Kolkata. She didn't solve every problem in India. There's still incredible poverty. If we are living by the whip of someone else's definition of success, we will grind. We, we, will, we, will, we, will, we will be destroyed as we come to a grinding halt by the pressure of trying to prove ourselves and trying to, no, no, let's just be faithful. And then lastly, it is for God's glory. It's not for our glory, it's for God's glory. People, it's for people to see how good God is. When, when we talk about being faithful and bringing glory to God, this isn't because God's an egotistical God who needs people to, to be impressed with Him so that He feels better about Himself. He's perfectly secure. What it means to bring glory to God is for people to actually see how good He really is. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus tells the, the story of being salt and light and then letting your good deeds shine for all to see so that they will give your Father in heaven glory. John 15, verse eight, Jesus is talking about abiding in the vine, how, how we are to walk closely with Him. And then He says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Imagine having a relative peace, so this isn't about striving and trying to prove ourselves, but, but actually out of a place of security in God, out of a place of being loved, enjoying God, being secure in God, doing our best to be faithful with what He has put into our hands. We're diligent, we're reliable, we, we mean what we say and we say what we mean. We get to places on time. We, we, are, we are dependable at work. We are faithful and diligent at school. We, 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 we share the load at home. If we are living lives of faithfulness, imagine, imagine if somewhere along the line, without any hype, people start to notice something different and are open to discovering how good God is. Because I'm telling you, if people only knew how good God is, for, for, for some of us here today, if you only knew how good God is, you would want to serve Him too. They would want to serve Him too. They would want to trust Him. We would want to take one step at a time and do the next right thing that we know to do. Come on, can I ask you to stand with me? Let me close in prayer and then we will dismiss you. You've all been amazing at staying mostly alert and attentive. Thank you.